Planning a trip? Call my friend Jessica Vila from Sweet Bay Travel Concierge at 623-225-9609. While she can book a trip for you anywhere in the world, she specializes in Disney trips. If you're looking for a more luxurious and personalized cruise experience, Jessica can help you set sail in style with Disney Cruise Line's Concierge Level. This service gives you priority check-in and boarding, early access to your stateroom and show seating, free internet, exclusive character meet and greets, a private sun deck, and more. But what if you don't want concierge level and still want to take a Disney cruise? Regardless of your choice, Jessica will make sure that every aspect of your cruise is perfect. She can also book you on an Adventures by Disney world-class travel experience. With over 40 adventures over seven continents, Adventures by Disney provides a culturally immersive, once-in-a-lifetime dream vacation. You'll get VIP treatment, the world's best adventure guides, special activities for junior adventurers, and more. No matter the destination, Jessica will put together that perfect trip just for you. She will literally handle everything. Begin your new adventure by calling Jessica at 623-225-9609 or email her at jessica at sweetbaytravelconcierge.com. That's sweetbay, B-A-Y, travelconcierge.com. Why have a regular vacation when you can have a magical one? If you're looking for a unique, finely crafted gift that's like no other, you have to check out bowandharrow.com. Bowen Harrow specializes in using reclaimed materials from a variety of sources to create heirloom quality products with their own story to tell. These incredible materials range from sports stadium seats to whiskey barrels to your favorite film locations and more. And every single piece they make is handcrafted in their Southern California studio. I purchased a black titanium twist ball pen, the Fitzgerald model, from them, and the quality and craftsmanship is second to none. To see their gorgeous pens, rings, cufflinks, cutting boards, serving trays, bottle openers, and more, visit bowandharrow.com. That's bow, B-O-W, and harrow, H-A-R-R-O-W.com. Bow and Harrow, bringing customers the highest quality handmade products that exceed all expectations. To all who come to this happy podcast, welcome. Hi, I'm Scott Jacobs, and this is season two of The Mouse and Me. On the show, I'll chat with my pals who come from all walks of Disney life, including Imagineers, dancers, technicians, directors, musicians, and stuntmen, and Broadway friends who have worked on stage and behind the scenes. We'll talk attractions, shows, food, characters, tips and tricks for planning your trip and navigating the parks, and more. Now, Put on your Mickey ears or your princess crown and enjoy season two of The Mouse and Me. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, my wonderful guests. Thank you for being here and listening to the last episode of The Mouse and Me for 2023. As always, I'm your host, Scott Jacobs. If you're listening on December 26th, the drop day for this episode, I'd like to wish those who celebrate a very happy Kwanzaa, which starts today, and for those who celebrate Christmas, I hope you had a very merry and magical time yesterday. As I mentioned, this is the last episode of The Mouse and Me for this year, and boy did I have an amazing time talking with my guests over the past 12 months. I kicked off this year with David Alpert, who on Broadway was an associate director of If Then and The Trip to Bountiful, and he assisted on The Best Man. David also serves as the creative director for Tony Award winner Adina Menzel, and he worked as a cast member at the Disneyland Resort. I then spoke with my good friend Rory Donovan for a second time, and during this year's interview, he talked about his experiences at the D23 convention in Anaheim, where he sang and danced in Save the City as Captain America. That song was first heard in the Hawkeye show on Disney+, Plus where Rory was the singing voice for Cap, and it became an instant gargantuan hit with the fans, so much so that Marvel and Disney surprised everyone with a live version of it at D23. If you haven't seen it, look it up on YouTube and also give a listen or listen to the interview again on this podcast. My next guest was Diana Cavillis Morris, who starred on Broadway as Val in A Chorus Line. She also did a European tour of A Chorus Line, where she played Cassie and toured the U.S. as Demeter and Grisabella in Cats, 
Eva in Evita, Ellen in Miss Saigon, and was in the L.A. Company of Sunset Boulevard. I'm not sure how many people actually heard this part of the interview because, well, I did a very Marvel thing. I did the equivalent of an end credit scene after the outro where Diana shared an incredible story about her grandparents and Disneyland's opening day celebration in 1955. Here's what she had to say. So early on, you mentioned that you came from a family that has a big musical background. Do any mm-hmm. of your family members have a connection to Disney? Uh, yes, as a matter of fact. Well, my sister, she danced in parades. But um, prior to that, my grandfather, who I mentioned was a big band musician, he was hired as a musician to be a part of the Disneyland marching band on opening day. So oh. he he's when you see the the film footage of the band walking down main street my grandfather is somewhere in there probably playing uh sat well he played sax clarinet and flute so he could be any one of those instruments in the band um they hired individual uh musicians to be a part of the disneyland marching band rather than nowadays they have um the disneyland marching band right it's the same a pool of people uh, but they wanted a big band for that opening day. And um, my mom was also there opening day because uh, she got a press pass uh, because she was his daughter and and spent opening day at Disneyland. Amazing. Yeah, it is. My friend Jared Bradshaw from Jersey Boys and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory on Broadway was my next guest. Jared also performed on Disney Cruise Line and is currently Bruce the Shark in Finding Nemo, the Big Blue and Beyond at Disney's Animal Kingdom. Jared is insanely talented and was just so much fun to talk to. Cullen Douglas was my next guest. Cullen co-founded the film production company 12th Angel Productions and is currently a Hollywood actor and director who worked at Disney's Hollywood Studios. Cullen directed the feature film Billy Flanagan, The Happiest Man on Earth, and Billy is the longest contracted performer of over 40 years at Walt Disney World, and he was actually a guest on the show in season one, so be sure to listen to that interview as well. Roz Ryan, who was the voice of Thalia, the muse of comedy in Disney's animated film Hercules, gave me a few hours of her time, and it was so nice to see and chat with her again. Roz talked all about her career from Broadway and touring, to television, movies, and Disney, and it was just an incredible time. She's an amazing talent and a wonderful woman, and I just, I just love her. This is what she had to say about getting the Hercules gig. I'd like to ask you some questions about Hercules. First of all, how did you get that gig? (laughs) God. (laughs) I was doing a show called Blues in the Night at the Pasadena Playhouse. And Alice Dewey, who was one of the producers, came to see Blues in the Night. They were putting Hercules together and they wanted Patti LaBelle, Whitney Houston, Gladys Knight. Um, I can't think of who else, but they wanted all these big singers. Mm-hmm. Alan Mankin wanted Broadway girls. Alice Dewey saw me do Blues in the Night, and Nell Carter, that's who they wanted. And Alice Dewey saw me at Blues in the Night, and she sent John Muscar and Ron Clements, who wrote the music, who wrote the the show, who wrote the movie, because Alan did the music. Mm-hmm. And they sent she sent them to see Blues in the Night. And they saw the show, and they said, when the show is over, we're going to send you to New York to meet Alan Menken. And if he likes you, you get the role in Hercules. I wasn't quite sure of what they were talking about. Hmm. Because I'd never had any any inclination of animation. I, I, you know, it's just something. It's the same thing as Broadway. Same thing as television. It wasn't in my radar. It wasn't something that I was looking for. So I go to New York and they give me a picture of Thalia and they put me in the studio and the other girls were already cast. And I started singing and I started doing, that was another time that I got to be myself. I started singing and I started saying some of the lines and I started putting some of my little things in it. Shtick. We call them Rosisms. That's what they (laughs) became. animation they became rosisms 
and I put my little stamp on it. And Alan Menken said to me, he said, we need you for personality. Mm. And he did the job. And he has truly become my musical guru. We mm. are very close. Nick Lamedica, who plays Zazu on the national tour of The Lion King, was my next guest. Okay, so here are some crazy stories about Nick. My wife used to teach him, and she introduced us years ago, and now we're all friends. When I interviewed Nick, he was in between shows, I want to say in Chicago. As soon as he came on the screen, I was so surprised to see him in his full Zazu makeup. Actually, I don't know if surprise is the word, because I assumed he wouldn't take his makeup off after the first show. I, I guess it more amazed me, because I was talking with my friend, who was also Zazu. It was just so cool. So fast forward several months. Nick got a call from The Lion King on Broadway to play Zazu for a few months. The only kink in that plan was when the tour was going to be in Philadelphia. Nick is from Northern Delaware, which is about 30 minutes from Philly, and 150 tickets were purchased by Nick's family, friends, and former teachers to see him, so he's in the middle of Act 1. And he walked off the stage after a scene and the company manager approached him and said that there was an emergency in New York and they needed him for the 6.30 show that night. As soon as he finished the matinee, Nick, in full makeup, ran past his family and friends who were cheering for him at the stage door and jumped in a car that Disney had waiting for him to take him to New York. Nick told me that he arrived at the Minskoff Theater at 6.28 with just enough time to put on his costume. He did a very quick makeup touch-up and went to places and started the show on time. In the 26 years that The Lion King has been running, that was the only time that an actor performed in two different productions of The Lion King on the same day. Here's another crazy story that Nick told me. On a Tuesday night in New York, Nick was on his way to makeup when the company manager approached him and said they needed him to go to the touring company in Schenectady because they didn't have a Zazu for their opening night. What had happened was there was the wrong combination of illness, injuries, and personal days, so Nick was the only hope. He said the other option was to cancel the show, and that really wasn't the most ideal option, and Nick would just have no part of that. So he quickly went to his apartment, which was only a few blocks from the theater, and luckily his fiance was in town with the car, so they both drove up to Schenectady, where he performed their opening night, and the next day they drove back to New York, where he continued his Broadway run. That was the second time in 26 years of The Lion King that an actor was in two different productions within 24 hours. So cool. I also had a blast talking with Ron Fox. He made magic every day at Walt Disney World and did so with grace, humility, and class. Ron shared some pretty cool details about his Disney career, including how he warmed up as a stunt driver for Lights Motors Action, which played at Disney's Hollywood Studios. The warm-up was essentially a show without an audience, and it had it had two of the three components. We we would start by basically doing what's called hot laps. There would be some cones set up, and we would drift in and out of the cones. We'd go through the gates, the archways and entrances. If you remember the set, each mm -hmm. one of those was called a gate and they were numbered one to eight. So we would set all this up so we could drift in and out of there. And then we would test our limiters. Once that was done, we would go to top for ballet and then we would uh, we'd do surf and turf. And then um, and then when we were done, we would do a, a two wheel exercise. They put uh, ramps out like we'd set them up on the stage. And we did it for two reasons. Want to make sure everybody Everybody who was driving that day had a chance to two-wheel, but also it gave us a chance to check the ramps before show to make sure there weren't any issues. Um, they weren't buckling. There weren't any issues with hinges. And and we would just uh, pop the cars up on two wheels, and and then we'd head back. We'd prep the vehicles, and usually by the time the vehicles were set, they were loading pyro, we were typically about 20 minutes to show. Okay. Now, now you mentioned uh, ballet and, and touch and go. What the heck does that mean? When I did the tour, I would describe Lights, Motors, Action to anybody who had never seen the show as ballroom dancing at 70 miles an hour. <laughs> it's really the best way to describe it. Our our names for the shows, like the, the ballet was the first scene. And, and you've seen the show, right? 
I have. Okay. So the ballet was the first scene in the show and it's, and it's so called because there's, there's a lot of pirouettes and weaving and a lot of close quarters driving where there's a lot of drifting and, and moving and sliding. It's, you're really essentially performing. You're not quite performing as an individual because you've got partners out there, everybody, and everybody drives a little differently. Um, it's another reason why we do the warm-ups every single day at the top of the day. We want to make sure the vehicles are ready to perform for the day, but because everybody drives a little differently, you want to make sure you have the feel for how your partners are going to be driving. So, you know, instead of wearing shoes, we're wearing tires. And, you know, instead of wearing tuxedos and flowing ball gowns, we're wearing uh, nine-layer driving suits and strapping us ourselves into very hot cars. Carol Stein is a treasure. During our interview, Carol shared how she got started playing piano at an early age, her first gig at Disney, what brings her instant joy at Walt Disney World, why the Mickey Premium Ice Cream Bar is her all-time favorite snack, and so many other things. Carol also played the piano to illustrate a few points. So the arrangements of the songs that you played, you said that you would sometimes just, you know, just make it up on the spot whatever songs that you already knew that you had in your back pocket that you played all the time was that a set arrangement like from sheet music or you just made it up on the oh no no we i don't think i've ever played anything the same way twice okay okay (laughs) you that's the freedom of that particular type now if you're playing a classical piece of music you have to play what's written what mozart wrote what beethoven wrote but when you're doing what i do usually um it's my interpretation of whatever the song is. It's always done a la Carol Stein. Um, if I do a Barbara Streisand song, I don't have Barbara Streisand's voice. That's her very own instrument. It'll be my way. Uh, mm-hmm. Even Disney songs, they're done. Now, I love, I do love to change arrangements and styles. And, of course, people will ask me, I'll, I'll take a, a Disney song and they'll say, play it in the style of Be- Beethoven or Dvorak. Or, and I'll do that because I love to do that. But as far as standards or rock songs, it depends on the mood. Sometimes you do them as a ballad or sometimes sure. you do them up speed. Or that's, that's the jazz. That's where the jazz comes in. You know, you take a melody, here's the basic chords, and then you put it in your own creative, interpretative way. Are you able to maybe demonstrate playing a Disney song in a different style? Sure. Um, what song would be like? Uh, um... Be Our Guest. Okay. And do you have a... Okay, we'll just take Be Our Guest, the original, and then I'll do it as a maybe a little classical thing. Okay. Okay. If it happens to be, uh, okay, Mozart or Beethoven, something like that. Thank you. 
Mm. Wow. That is perfection. Thank you for that. Thank you. Wow. Just depends on your mood. You know, maybe somebody wanted it in Chopin or somebody wanted it as a a very slow andante or or a jazz version, whatever. Sure, sure. Michael Lyons is the author of Drawn to Greatness, Disney's Animation Renaissance, which chronicles the unprecedented growth at the Walt Disney Studios during the 1990s. For 20 years, Michael worked full-time at the Walt Disney World Resort at all four theme parks where he held several leadership positions in operations and training and development. He was also part of the team that opened Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. If you want a copy of his book, you can get it on Amazon, or if you go to his website, wordsfromlions.com, that's wordsfromlions, L-Y-O-N-S.com, he'll sign a copy to you. My next interviewee was my pal from high school, Danny Slowick. Boy, did we have a great time. Danny worked as a tour guide, gangster, and bandit on the great movie ride at Disney's MGM Studios and worked in Magic Kingdom at Splash Mountain and as a skipper on Jungle Cruise. He told some pretty cool behind-the-scenes stories about the great movie ride and Jungle Cruise. My next guest was the incredibly talented Karen Schreiner. Karen has over 20 years of experience in a variety of roles with the Walt Disney Company. She traveled the world for Disney Cruise Line aboard the Disney Wonder and Disney Magic. She was in the iconic Hoop-dee-doo review, and for the past 12 years, she's been a member of the world-renowned a cappella group Voices of Liberty. I actually met Karen after a Voices of Liberty performance a little over a year ago, and she was and still is just as lovely as lovely can be. This past February, I spent five days at the Disneyland Resort, and on one of the days, I drove to Burbank and toured the Walt Disney Studios. When my tour guide met up with the group, she introduced herself and told us a little bit about her career. She told us that she was in the full run of the L.A. Company of Disney's Beauty and the Beast and did two national tours of that show, along with her husband, who was a musician in the pit, and her son, who played Chip. She also talked about her movie and Broadway credits, and one of the shows she was in happens to be one of my all-time favorite shows, Something Rotten, which I saw nine times in New York because I have problems. Her name is Linda Griffin, and she and I hit it off straight away. We quickly bonded over Broadway, Disney, and some mutual friends. I was so happy to reconnect with her for the interview, and during our chat, I asked her what her three favorite facts about the Walt Disney Company were. Here's what she had to say. Um, probably Kem Weber, who was the designing, um, supervising designer slash architect slash, you know, he, he worked with Walt very closely in the look of the lot. So mm. that's just discovering him was my favorite thing. He designed all the furnishings, the furniture, the the desks that the animators used, the desks that the ink and paint ladies used, you know, the desks that the director used. They're so custom. Um, the lamps, the font on the sign, all of that stuff, you know, he's, he's really cool. Um, mm-hmm. Three facts of the water tower. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it's just a fun little fact about it having six legs instead of four. Um, and tell me again, Roy just thought it looked better or he wanted it to be different yeah, than Roy, anything else? Roy just thought it was, what the you know, more aesthetic, aesthetically pleasing with six legs. And he actually mm-hmm. um, found the money to, to purchase the extra two legs himself. Nice. And so we have fun with that little fact. And then I think one of the most surprising things for me, because I love the film Mary Poppins, the fact that that film was done completely on sound stages, that none of it was done outside in exteriors. Mm. So that's, I think, really cool. You know, such a beautiful film. Thomas Schulteis joined me the following week, and all I have to say is three words. Figment, popcorn, bucket. To understand what that means, you have to listen to the interview. I had such a great time talking with Thomas, and he told some incredibly fun stories. Here's a clip of him talking about his time as a VIP tour guide at Disneyland. Chervette trained us multi-days, uh, and if Chervette listens to this, hello, Chervette, who was amazing. She was just such an incredible uh, person and friend. She still is. Um, but the facts that they would take us, truly, Scott, they had to take us as VIP guides to almost every 
corner of that resort, including the hotels. We had to learn about alternate entrances. We had to learn about, you know, exit plans and exit strategies if you need to. Um, those were definitely some of the surprises where I thought, oh, we're operating in a different kind of almost subterranean level, sometimes quite literally and other other times just below what the public can see. Um, and those aspects, of course, you know, you just don't know about until they tell you. And uh, I remember thinking it, it's I got it pretty quickly that people will say, oh, you know, the the celebrities or these notable people, they don't have to wait in lines. They get moved around in different capacities. And the truth is about that. Um, and I, I witnessed it a couple of times when I had certain celebrities that didn't want to necessarily do that that what happens is there become such park disruptions that it really skews towards the safety concerns. And therefore having alternate entrances is almost primarily a safety concern that you can't have, you know, let's say um, a Meryl Streep walking around the park because yeah. she will get and, you know, masses of people everywhere she goes. And so I learned pretty quickly that there was this, kind of safety aspect, not only for them, but also for the guests and also trying to deliver as much normalcy to their visit as possible so that they're not being bombarded on their day to Disney with their family, with people kind of asking things from them throughout the day. My buddy Bill Disbennett talked with me about his incredible performing career, which took him around the world from Tokyo Disneyland and Disney Cruise Line to theme parks in the United States. He also talked about his days in the Radio City Rockettes and his incredible career at Walt Disney World. Bill currently works his dream job at the Tri-Circle D Ranch where he manages the operation of 40 ranch hands and over 100 equines. I'm excited to see him in a few weeks where I'll get to tour the ranch. Ah, oh, I cannot wait. Bianca Hurd was my next guest. She started at the Walt Disney Company as a character performer and equity dancer in 2016. She opened Mickey's Royal Friendship Fair as Princess Tiana and Discovery Island Carnival at Animal Kingdom. She went on to perform in Festival of Fantasy as Tiana and took a contract on the Disney Wonder to perform at Tiana's Place and ultimately returned to Walt Disney World as an equity actor performing in Awesome Mix Live as Gamora. She then moved on to dance at Beauty and the Beast live on stage at Disney's Hollywood Studios. Bianca has the biggest, brightest, and warmest smile and a heart to match. Christopher Gatelli won the Tony Award for Best Choreographer for Newsies, and I got to interview him. Newsies was our kids' first Broadway show back in 2012. During the interview, I was able to share a message from my son, who's a dancer, to Chris. So I should tell you that Newsies was our kids' first Broadway show, and I have a message for you from my 18-year-old son, Ben, who is a dancer. And Ben said, and I quote, I'm going to try and get through this. Your work is one of the main motivating factors that made me who I am and got me to where I am as a performer and an artist. And, uh... I should also tell you that Ben just got accepted to both Shenandoah and Point Park University for dance. That that makes me well up. I mean, that's that's literally the reason why I did it. I mean, there was a there was a story I, I'll never forget it that I went to watch the show. I think it was shortly after the Tonys, just to check in and and you know watch the boys and show them my support. And um, probably because of being on TV or the internet or whatever, um, a young gentleman came up to me after the show and he said, hi, Mr. Gatelli. And I said, it's Chris, you don't, uh, and he said, he said, I'm going to dance for you someday. And that still like catches my throat because he clearly was like this young, young gentleman who like, there, you know, he saw the show and he came back to see it and was inspired. And like, like I was like, if it was just him, like if it was just that one dancer that got inspired by the show that I feel like I did my job. And there's also another beautiful story. Um, there was a performer when we set the tour to Marius, who was in our national tour the year before at the Broadway flea market, he took a picture with the newsies and like did the, you know, the newsies kind of signature, po you know, jump on the, on the poster. And then 
he told that the boys, I wasn't there that day, but he was like, I'm going to be in your show. I'm going to be in your show and cut to Demarius worked his butt off. And then he came in and we were like, yeah. And then he told us this, we didn't know this story. And then he told us this story. And I was like, I mean, there's really, there's really no kind of greater feeling than that, you know, to, to, I, I've, I was so blessed by having like incredible teachers and mentors and, and inspirations. And the fact that if I could give back in that way, uh, is just, again, that there's no greater feeling. So, and thank you to your son. That's just beyond kind. Jim Landis was super cool. Jim worked at Disneyland back in the day as a performer and transitioned to a prop master for television and film where he worked on shows including Will and Grace and Frasier and was Melissa McCarthy's prop master on several of her movies. Jim is the co-owner of Grandest Creations, a company that creates specialty props for television, screen, and stage for such clients as NBC, ABC, CBS, HBO, Netflix, Paramount Plus, and Disney Imagineering. He's also a theater director and playwright, and one of his plays, Feast of Fools, is available on Amazon.com. Dee Quintero was as delightful as delightful can be. Dee has done radio events, magic events, and was an acapella singer at various resorts, Disney Springs, Disney's Hollywood Studios, and Disney Cruise Line, and she played the role of Nemo in Finding Nemo the Musical at Disney's Animal Kingdom. My next guest was Robert Creighton. Robert's resume is, well, I envy it. Let's just put it that way. In addition to his television credits, Robert was on Broadway in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, Jackie Mason's Laughing Room Only, The Mystery of Edwin Drood, Anything Goes, and Chicago. His Disney credits include revisiting the role of Timon in Disney's The Lion King on Broadway last year and was in the L.A. and Toronto companies of The Lion King as well. Bobby also played Chef Louis in The Little Mermaid, and he originated the role of the Duke of Wesselton in Frozen. He has so many other Disney credits, you'll just have to listen to our interview. Until then, here's a clip of Bobby talking about what it's like performing at the Festival of the Arts at Epcot. So I think uh, they've done six seasons, six or six seasons of that, and I've done the last two. Um, it is you're handpicked really by the people at Disney, and it is a coveted job. There's no question about it. I feel so fortunate to have done it. It is, it is a joyful gig because, for many reasons. First of all, I've been so lucky because I did it with, first of all, with Heidi Blick and staff who is truly one of my best, best friends, sang at, like sang at our wedding, that kind of friend, you mm, know, like nice. deep-seated friend. We met doing Little Mermaid um, and just bonded, both going through things in our life and, and shared the same sense of humor and uh, just have become great, great friends. She and her husband, Nicholas, are both dear friends now. And so I got to do it with her, and she had done it before, so she knew the ropes and... um. And then I did it with Patty Murin, who obviously is a great friend. So, uh, but you get handpicked for it. You get to be at, stay uh, um, at the Riviera, get two rooms there so you can bring friends and family, VIP tours of the parks. You get six mm. days of VIP tours, which nice. is mind boggling. Like the, the first year we did it, you know, we're half, we're halfway through and my son's like, I know dad, I'm grateful. I get it. Cause I'm like, buddy, you don't understand. This isn't normal. Like, this is not how, well, this, this is not normal. Like you really soaked this in. Cause we're not waiting in lines. We're not, you know, it is such a gift and, right. and people are so excited to be there. It's true. Like at the, um, at our pavilion, American pavilion theater at Epcot, people are so excited that to see us and we're so happy to be there. It's just like this great big, love energy in the room and it's so beautiful and the band is great we have a six-piece band that's phenomenal um so yeah you get handpicked and you do not say no because it is just uh it's such a gift and my family have taken of the three weeks i'm there the middle week both times i've taken my kids out of school and brought them down it was their first experience uh being at, at uh, disney world and yeah that's a good one i sure hope i get to do it again 
During my interview with Kevin Broussard, he and I decided to adopt each other, and we are now cousins. <laughs> Kevin has been performing at Walt Disney World for 36 years, starting at the Hoop-dee-doo Review, then Tarzan Rocks, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, The Diamond Horseshoe, Ace Ventura Pet Detective, and Doug Live. Kevin was also the very first Indiana Jones in the Indiana Jones Epic Stunt Spectacular for George Lucas, and after 34 years, he's still in the show. In one of the sections in the show, they recreate the big boulder scene from the first Indiana Jones movie, and Kevin told me about a little mishap. Now, how many times did it take you to figure out how fast you needed to run so that the boulder didn't run you over? So Glenn was uh, all about safety, and he would... So when that ball launches, if I'm not mistaken, it launches at 32 miles an hour. Ooh. And then once it hits, once it hits the rails it slows down immediately, but not, not that slow. You know, it doesn't go like from 32 to 10, but it starts to slow itself down okay. as, as it hits the rails and continues on. So like I said, Glenn was all about safety and he would place us like the ball would launch and we would be, you know, 50 feet from it. And so we're watching it and we're watching it get closer. Um, if at any point you felt like you were in danger, all you had to do was lay down in the track mm -hmm. that you run in because there is about two inches of clearance between you and the boulder, but you have to be flat. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Any mishaps there ever? I I'm assuming and hoping the answer is no. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, it's a yes. Oh. Um, the boulder took, yeah, the boulder took me down. It grabbed my jacket and it would not let go. I couldn't get out of it. And it pinned me up against the side. And when it did that, it dislocated my shoulder. But I didn't realize it. I guess I was, I, I just didn't realize it. Um, so I stood up and then right in front of me, the audience that was in front of me, I heard an audible like gasp. And I looked for my shoulder that wasn't there. It was back there oh, somewhere. No. And and I, I, I looked down, I found my understudy and I said, go get dressed. And I finished the interview and then I got off stage as quickly as I could. Wow. Joy Anderson was just a joy to talk to. See what I did there? She has over 30 years of performance experience at Walt Disney World as a dancer, singer, actor, improviser, and interactive comedy voiceover puppeteer. Some of these credits include serving as a dance instructor for Disney Performing Arts, characters at special events, and performed in the Christmas Parade at Magic Kingdom, Beauty and the Beast, World Showcase Players, Diamond Horseshoe Review, Adventurers Club, Comedy Warehouse, Flights of Wonder, American Idol, and Monsters, Inc. Laugh Floor, where she is currently helping to fill the laugh canisters. I've known Jason Mangano for years, and he and I just had a blast catching up and talking all things Disney. Jason was a skipper on Jungle Cruise and worked on Pirates of the Caribbean. During our talk, he shared what safety and rescue protocols are in place for both Pirates and Jungle Cruise, if skippers get in trouble if they go off script, what cast members do when Pirates of the Caribbean goes down, and George the Ghost, who haunts that attraction, and how you know if George is in the show building or not. Another fun aspect of Pirates, which I know I've mentioned to you before, is George. Mm -hmm. So George is half lore, half real, half truth. It depends on who you talk to. George was a maintenance man that worked on Pirates of the Caribbean when it was being built in the late 90s, early 70s. And rumor has it that he was on a beam, fell off the beam, broke his neck, and now he haunts the Pirates of the Caribbean. Okay. My first experience with George, I was getting a tour of the building and my trainer took me to George's beam and on George's beam is this little drawing of a man falling to his death, which is super morbid. And there was a maintenance man that walked in front of us and tripped. And I remember Vanessa and I looking at each other because we never saw that man before and we never saw him again. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And there's a door at the end of Pirates of the Caribbean where the dog is. The dog mm -hmm. with the keys in his mouth. Mm -hmm. If you see that door open, that means George is out. And that means the ride is going to be going down. 
Mm. And again, fate was tested. Fate was tempted. We had this gorgeous girl, Amber, who I was also a skipper with, who also cross-trained over to Pirates with me. And she went, you know, George, I really want some downtime today. And it was my last day working at Pirates before I went seasonal. And after she said that, we were down for three hours. Wow. Russell Fox has an entertainment career that spans over 40 years. Just at Walt Disney World, he sang with Voices of Liberty, acted the roles of Jim in the Hoop-Dee-Doo Review, and played the assistant director in the Indiana Jones epic stunt spectacular, and he originated the role of Clopin in The Hunchback of Notre Dame, a musical adventure. Russell now serves as an entertainment manager where he works with technicians, character performers, musicians, contracted acts, and equity performers at Disney Springs and in the theme parks and resorts. And finally, my pal Jess Loprato was my last guest this year, and boy, did I love chatting with him. Jess made his Broadway debut in The Boy From Oz, followed by Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas and Bye Bye Birdie. Jess played the role of Buttons in the original Broadway cast of Disney's Newsies, and it was that show that truly solidified his Broadway veteran status. Other Broadway credits include On the Town, The Revival of Cats, where he played Mungo Jerry, Hello Dolly, Carousel, and is currently in A Beautiful Noise, the Neil Diamond musical, where he performs eight shows a week and also serves as the dance captain. Here's a clip of Jess talking about when things didn't go as planned during Newsies on Broadway. Jeremy Jordan, this was just at like a month or maybe a month into the run, uh, enters from the orchestra level to go up the steps to uh, interrupt the protest, uh, the rally. And his line is, uh, you want to be talked to like an adult? Then start acting like one. Don't just run your mouth. Uh, make some sense. And they're like, here's Jack Kelly. Um, now, I'm, I'm kind of leaning on this ladder. And this is one of the few gaps that uh, Jeremy had because obviously he was a professional. He was an amazing performer in his own right. But the, but he got me good, and I think he got a couple other people good, where he messed up his line. He had a little faux pas, and uh, he said, you want to be talked to like an adult? Then start acting like one. Don't just make sense. So obviously he stopped himself short, and then he had to add something else to it. So he said, make some noise. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was laughing so hard. I don't know what it was, but there was just it was just too good. And another quick, I'll, I'll just give one more quick story that was really, it could, because, you know, when you're working with a bunch of guys, you know, we're, it's like a fraternity. It's like, you know, we, we just, we love goofing on each other. Uh, we love 100%. laughing with one. Yeah. It's, it's just one of those camaraderie environments where it's just like, you know, and, and like, cause no one took themselves. I don't think any of us, you know, if we did take ourselves seriously, then the next beat after that, we would be laughing at ourselves because it was just that kind of atmosphere because we all were just like, we're just having a good time here. I mean, that, that's really just the fun of it. But one moment was Brendan Stimson, who was one of the Delancey brothers in the show. Um, uh, he was a big, because uh, we had a lot of football fans, a lot of sports fans in the, in the show. And he was a passionate Buffalo Bills fan as you are. I'm like, oh, amazing. At the time, the Buffalo Bills were not the Buffalo Bills of today. Sure, sure. Um, Yes. So he had, uh, and on Sundays, because Sunday football, everyone brought their jerseys. Uh, I'm a baseball fan, uh, but so I, I don't really follow football as much. And but, your team? Uh, oh, the New York Yankees. Okay, okay. Okay, yes. good, good, good. Um, but, uh, I'm going to get a lot of hate mail. But, <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> I, well, I will say that I'm a New York fan, generally speaking. So I sure. do root for the Mets. I do root for the Giants and the Jets. Like, you know, just, you know, New York all the way for me. Of course. Speaking. But Brendan brought his jersey, his Buffalo Bills jersey, and some, one of the crew men on our show decided to pull a prank on him, pull a, pull a fast one, where they had the wagon with the newspapers, uh, where the Delanceys distribute the newspapers. It's on a diagonal facing stage left, so they're facing away from stage right, and mm -hmm. the newsies are lined up in front of it, and we're really facing the wagon, which is facing stage, uh, stage right. So we see all of a sudden, and Brendan's right here, and right behind him, we see this image floating up, and the image is his jersey. Someone stole his jersey from the dressing <laughs> room, and they hoisted it up. <laughs> nice. They hoisted it up, and we were laughing so hard, and he had no idea what was going on. 
And it was just one of those moments where we're just like, oh man, like only here because like it's just it's just the environment of of the show to where we were just goofballs. We were just a bunch of goofballs. So yeah, those are the few moments I remember. Those were all of my guests this past year. Other cool things that happened this year, I did some more commercials, and you actually heard one of them at the top of this episode. Jessica is a friend, a huge Disney fan, and an incredible travel agent who can book any trip, and she specializes in Disney trips. Give her a call at 623-225-9609 or visit her online at sweetbaytravelconcierge.com. That's sweetbay, B-A-Y, travelconcierge.com. I also created a shameless self-promotion commercial for the podcast. Let's give it a listen, shall we? For those of you who love all things Disney, check out the Mouse and Me podcast. Oh wait, that's this podcast. Hi, I'm Scott Jacobs, the creator and host of The Mouse and Me. If you're listening for the first time, welcome. And if you're returning, welcome back. I created this podcast because I'm a curious person. I like to know the hows and whys behind things. I also know a lot of pretty cool Disney people who have amazing stories, and I wanted to hear and share those stories with you. The Mouse and Me is a one-man band. In addition to hosting the show, I'm the talent scout, researcher, writer, director, editor, and producer, and I'd love your support. If you feel so inclined, please visit patreon.com slash the mouse and me. There, you can make a one-time donation or set up a recurring payment in the amount of your choosing. Any monetary support would be greatly appreciated and will go towards recording and technology equipment, research and producing, maintaining and publicizing the podcast. Again, that's patreon.com slash the mouse and me. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash the mouse and me. Be sure to follow the show on social media by searching The Mouse and Me. I post questions, pictures, and information about past, current, and upcoming guests. And I also do Fun Fact Friday because I love my fun facts. So definitely like, follow, and share. The Mouse and Me, a podcast for those who love all things Disney. This ad was brought to you by Shameless Plug Productions in association with The Mouse and Me podcast. I also had a great time producing some pretty neat Magical Moments episodes this past year. If you're not familiar, Magical Moments are different from the full-length interview episodes in that it's easier for me to talk about even more tips and tricks to navigating the parks and do deeper dives on topics like dining, rides, shows, Disney news, and more. The first Magical Moments of 2023 was It Was All Started by a Mouse, which is all about my pal, Mickey Mouse. I did a quick Disney news update in Have We Got News For You. Also, if you want some money-saving tips for your upcoming Disney trip, check out Disney on a Dime. The top 10 fastest rides at Walt Disney World was another fun one to do, and I'll let you in on a little secret. The fastest ride at Walt Disney World is not Spaceship Earth. There you have it. (laughs) My last two magical moments were all about food, and that was by special request. I did dining at Walt Disney World and dining at the Disneyland Resort, where I talk about the snack kiosks and restaurants where I've eaten in the parks and resorts. At the end of last year, Spotify provided me with the numbers for The Mouse and Me, and they did it again this year, so here they are, the stats for 2023. The Mouse and Me was streamed in 11 countries, and the United States was the top country with 89% of total streams. This one is for new listeners. I have the most new listeners in Australia? Really? Okay. Good day to all of you new listeners out there. And please don't unsubscribe due to my terrible Australian accent. Let's see, what else? 84% of the listeners joined me for the first time this past year. My top episode, Jared Bradshaw Part 1, was streamed 427% more than the average episode, and it brought in 13% of my new listeners. My listeners' top musical genres were Broadway, movie tunes, and pop. And the top podcast genres were comedy, society and culture, and TV and film. When listeners shared the show with others, it was an even split. 50% was shared by text message, and 50% was shared by direct link, which is either email or social media. The rating for the podcast was 5 out of 5. Yay! As far as growth is concerned, streaming was up 87%. 
Followers was up 58% and minutes created was up 58%. And finally, The Mouse and Me is a top 10 podcast for 66 fans, a top 5 podcast for 47 fans, and drumroll please... A number one podcast for 17 fans. Oh boy! Thank you all so very much for contributing to these numbers. I can definitely feel the love tonight. So what's next for The Mouse and Me? I've decided to continue to interview some interesting and amazing guests and create more Magical Moments content for you. I have some pretty exciting guests in the pipeline and I'm also working on a few new things, one of which I can tell you right now. I'm happy to announce a new segment called... On this day in Disney history, where I'll be telling you some fun Disney history facts on the day a new episode drops. I'm excited for 2024, and I'm going to start things off right by enjoying the new year and January, which is my birthday month. I'll be celebrating my birthday by going to Walt Disney World. I'll be visiting the House of Mouse for four days and Universal for a day with my friend and former guest, Jason Mangano. Sadly, my wife can't join me. She has work commitments that she just can't get out of, and the kids have school commitments, so it'll be a solo trip, sort of. I'll be spending time with friends every day I'm down there. It's it's going to be a great time. Okay, that's all I have for you for now, and custom outro and theme song. And that, my friends, my guests, is a wrap on 2023. If you liked what you've heard, please subscribe to the show, rate it, leave a review, and tell all of your friends. And if you didn't like it, tell your enemies. Follow me on social media by searching The Mouse and Me and visit patreon.com slash themouseandme to support the show. I hope you all have a very happy, healthy, and safe new year. And thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you have the best day ever and see you real soon. (laughs) 